Hello. Welcome to the More Than Hearers podcast. I'm Orion. I'm here with Peter Willis. He's going to do some Bible talking today. We're in Romans chapter 9. If you happen to hear a little bit of a ding buzzer kind of thing in the background, we are baking cookies in the More Than Hearers podcast uh, house today. Uh, Peter, you have a thought? You're, you're trying to say something. I was going to use the word studio to make it sound better, but, eh, you know, okay. house is rigor, rigor. Edit. Uh, <laughs> the More Than Hearers podcast studio has a kitchen with some, yeah, we're having a, we're having a fun time here. Thanks for joining us. Um, Peter, Romans 9 is tough. I mean, it's great, but it's got some tough stuff, stuff that I personally struggle with here. Uh, you and I've talked about a lot of this stuff. I, I'm really looking forward to this discussion though. And I'm going to have to actually keep my mouth shut on, <laughs> on some things I think, but that'll be okay for once. Have to keep your mouth shut, man. That's half the reason you're here is to, uh, offer up, um, I don't know, to, to round it out. I, I had something cool. And it we are trying to figure out, out why I'm here. I know. We're, no, no, no. <laughs> I know why you're here. I know you're baking cookies. That's, that's why I'm here today. Okay. Perfect. Romans chapter nine. It, it, it's we've been working our way through Romans one chapter at a time, and um, I've talked about or we've talked about repeatedly about how Romans builds on itself, and like Romans one, two, three, Paul's painting this picture of how bad things really are, and how desperately we need the good news. And by the end of chapter three and into four, he talks about how great the news is that our righteousness comes through faith, and then he builds on top of that of what then do we do with that? What is our obligation? What is our responsibility? How do we handle it? And so by the end of Romans chapter 8, Paul's going, you know, I'm convinced death, life, angels, principalities, demons, height, depth, anything in all creation, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And and you go, oh man, this is just, it's, you're right, it keeps getting better and better. And then we hit chapter 9, and he's going to completely shift gears. And I was sharing with Orion earlier that I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall, because we know that most of Paul's books, or his epistles, or his letters, were dictated to someone else who's frantically scribbling while Paul rants, or whatever he's doing. And I would have loved to have been in the room, because I don't know if what happened here is, Paul just all of a sudden shifted gears, or maybe at the end of chapter 8, which remembering there weren't original chapter verse designations, if there was a break where Paul goes, all right, man, enough for today, we'll come back and talk about it tomorrow. And then the next morning he goes, all right, let's pick up where we left off. And this is where 9-1 comes in because it's a complete shift of gears. And Paul's going to shift, oh, subject matter is probably the wrong term, but focus um, a little bit. So uh, if you've got a Bible, or if you've got a digital device and you want to follow along, Romans chapter 9, we're in the NIV. Be in whatever version you want to be in. If you're driving down the road while you're listening to this, please, by all means, don't look at a Bible. I'm not one to recommend that people don't look at a Bible, but I prefer we not be listed in your accident report. Uh, much rather us get our name out there some other way other than to your state farm agent. Bible so, responsibly. Yeah, oh, there we go. Should that be like our hashtag maybe? Like hashtag Bible responsibly? Oh, yeah. It's going up now. Uh, it should be trending at this moment. I'm sure of it. So Romans chapter 
9, starting in verse 1. I speak the truth in Christ, Paul says. I am not lying, and my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Let's just close there for today. Amen. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Why do you have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart? In your heart, Paul. Well, verse 3 tells you, he says, For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever be praised. Amen. I got to be real with you guys. I'm not here. (laughs) I'm not. I'll give up my salvation because... I got some people in my family or some people who are from the place I'm from who don't know Christ. I'm not that guy. Paul says here, he goes, I'm, I'm broken in my heart. God will testify to this. It's almost, a, oh, you guys are going to turn me off now and unsubscribe. I can just see it. Paul, in many words, is going, I swear to God. It's really what he says. He goes, I speak the truth and my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. God is my witness. I would give up my salvation for the people of Israel. It's a a bold statement. And that's why I said it's such a huge shift from Romans 1 through 8. You know, of here's how bad people are. Here's how bad we are for thinking they're bad. Here's the truth. Everybody's bad. The good news is we're saved through faith. And if you have faith, oh man, so much is available for you. Because if you believe, that means you're dead to sin and your life now exists through Christ. And it doesn't matter how much you struggle with sin. If you're in Christ, all things are possible. We're more than conquerors and nothing can separate us. Oh yeah, though, I'd really like to be separated so that uh, all of Israel would come to know Christ. Take one for the team, so to speak. And I've got a different angle, I think, you know, on this in that I thought that we had just gotten through explaining how being a Jew, a Hebrew or whatever, however you want to say that. I mean, I think both are probably valid uh, is not inherently has no more righteousness than a Gentile. You're absolutely right, and, and I, I think then, this agrees with that. But but then he's he goes through like raving about all that the the Jewish people up to this point had as far as the, you know the lineage, and it's like and all that came from God anyway. So like that they happen to be the ones that the Messiah came through. Like that's just God said it was going to be that way, and then it was so. Yeah. But, but it's like not, it's not like they earned it, you know what I mean? It's just it's just so it's like weird that you have all these bullet points on this, and it's like so I'm kind of like so. But prior to Christ, that was primary access. But Christ is here. I, I get it, and that's kind of why Paul's so heartbroken. Is he goes, you guys had a 2,500 year head start <laughs> on the rest of the world. You had. Sonship, glory, covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple, the promises, the patriarchs. Gosh darn it, Jesus himself was a Jew. And you blew it. And so 
there's this uh, there's this thing that Paul's going to address later on. Uh, it might even be in this chapter, and and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Where um, he basically says, "Not all Israel is Israel. Just because you're ethnically Jewish doesn't mean that you're religiously Jewish, or just because you're ethnically Jewish doesn't." doesn't give you the people of God peace. It never has. God said in the Old Testament time and again, I desire mercy over sacrifice. I want obedience from you instead of just this temple routine. It's where Jesus turned the world on his ear when he came in and he goes, you've heard it said, but I tell you. It's more than just road obedience to the law. And it's the same thing here where Paul goes, you've had all of this stuff sonship and all the stuff we've already referenced, but it's more than that. It's great to have that, and what an amazing foundation, but you missed the final step of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so he goes, my heart's broken for you because I'd give Jesus up just that you'd grasp this. And that's why I say it's so preposterous to me because I'm not there. I'm just not there for, honestly, pretty much anybody. But Paul's there, and he's trying to... Maybe he's being a little hyperbolic of trying to put his heart out there of how heartbroken he is in this. Because he's painted this picture, chapter 1 through 8, of how good the news is. And he goes, these people I ethnically identify with, who I love, my heart goes into. Yeah, even uh, historically identifying uh, tradition. I mean, like there's so much culturally identifying. Right. Yeah. Like, he refers in other places of he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul's as Jewish as Jewish gets. And he goes, you've missed this thing. And Paul, who we know uh, from the book of Acts, really missed it for a while. I mean, missed it so bad, Jesus pretty much had to knock him down and make him blind for a couple of days. Sure. Like, missed it. But that's part of the reason why he so much gets it. He sees the whole picture because he had the previous 2,500 years. And he goes, how could you not see how it led to this? And so uh, we move forward because he's going to go with this stream of consciousness thing a little further. So, you know, he talks about how Israel's got all these things, glory and the covenants and the law and the temple and the promises and the patriarchs. And they've got everything. And this was God's plan. And so verse 6, he goes, it's not as though God's word had failed. Oh, here's that. I just referenced it and here it is. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Remember, if you don't know it, I'm going to tell you. But um, but if, you, if you've studied the Bible, you know this, that Israel, beyond the name of the nation, was also this guy. Uh, Abraham, one of the patriarchs. Abraham, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac was the promised child from God. Abraham's 100 and change. Uh, his wife, Sarah, is just shy of 100. I think she was 99, the scripture records. Angel of the Lord goes, hey, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, <laughs> no, I'm not. And Abraham goes, uh, I'm over 100 years old. And it's so funny if you go back and read the account. He goes, and my wife is really old. <laughs> He doesn't call out her age, but he calls her really old. He's being polite. Right. But the promise comes true. And he has Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And uh, Jacob later has this moment with God, and God changes his name to Israel. And so that's why it says here, not all who are descended from, if I may interject the other name here, not all who are descended from Jacob are Israel. 
not all who are ethnically Jewish are Jewish, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. It's a reference from the Old Testament of a promise that God gave him. In other words, verse 8 says, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Abraham had another son, Ishmael. Those are also Abraham's descendants through the line of Ishmael. But those weren't the children of the promise. Why not? I don't know. We're getting to that. So verse 9 says, For this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Again, a little more of your Old Testament history. This child's promised to Abraham through Sarah. And Abraham goes, no kid yet. There's a kid. I don't have a kid yet. And Sarah goes, maybe God just meant I'm supposed to find you somebody to have a kid with. Here's my handmaiden. I can't remember her name now. Hagar? Hagar. Oh, I think of Sammy Hagar. Sorry. Oh, that's that's a great way to remember. I don't know why Sammy Hagar reminds me, but. That would be so good if the story were in the book of first or second Samuel, but it's not. Yeah. But Sammy Hagar, sorry. (laughs) Terrible reference. I was trying. But so she goes, here's my handmaiden, Hagar. Have a kid with her. And so Abraham has a kid with her named Ishmael. And God goes, that's not what I said. I said Sarah would have a child. And she ends up having a child. It's Isaac. And through that line is where Israel comes. Isaac has this son, Jacob. I'm getting ahead of the the text. Um, And verse 10. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Isaac's wife was Rebekah. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older child or the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Well, not at all. And I want to pause here because um, Paul's going to give an answer to all of this. And if you're paying attention and I haven't completely lost you, which is distinctly possible because Paul gets really wordy here and sometimes it loses me. If I haven't lost you, this little passage, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, it brings up a lot of questions. So Paul goes, not everybody who's a descendant of Jacob or of Israel is Israel or God's chosen people. Because the truth is, not even everybody who's a descendant of Abraham, even though the promise came to Abraham, because Abraham tried to make the promise happen on its own. And God decided. God decided it would be through Abraham and Sarah, which meant it was Isaac. And then God decided Isaac would have two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. One would come out before the other, which is why one's older and one's younger, even though they're born on the same day. If you're listening out there and you're a twin, you already know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. You already have this argument with your twin over who's younger and who's older, even though, come on, you're the same age. Like, say what you want, you're the same age. Now here comes the hateful twin emails flooding into the More Than Hearers podcast. Bring, but bring on the hateful twin emails. It just means you're listening. <laughs> yes. So by all means, send the email. But anyway... And God said, uh, the older one is going to serve the younger one. And you go, well, why? And, and he goes, 
verse 11 and 12. I got ahead of the Y. The Y hasn't even come yet. But before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, before they were even conceived, God, um, and it says, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. This is a what we call a parenthetical reference. If you're an English major, you remember that this is something that sits in parentheses in the middle. Only for some reason, at least in the NIV, it uses uh, little dashes. Yeah, I da- uh, believe they're called M dashes versus N dashes. Thank you for that because I didn't know. The reason for the naming, tangent, uh, an aside, is uh, the shorter one takes about the space of a lowercase N as in November, and the long, longer one, the space of an M, as in Michelangelo. Excuse me while I have to clean up my brain off the floor because <laughs> my head just exploded. I did not know any of this. M dashes are substitutionary uh, for parentheses. Are they really, or are you just... Yes. Oh, okay, so, so what I'd like to do in reading this, if you'll permit me, is I'm going to pull the parenthetical reference out for a moment and read the sentence without it because it flows better and it makes it easier to understand. And then we're going to go back and talk about the parenthetical reference. So verse 11 into 12 would read like this without the parenthetical reference. Yet, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, she, meaning Rebecca, was told the older will serve the younger. Well, why? And so that's when we go back to the parenthetical reference. In order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. And it's this, that the thing we need to understand, it was relevant then, it's relevant, uh, it was relevant in Isaac and Rebecca's time, it was relevant in Paul's time, and it's relevant in our time. It's that we cannot earn our position with God. It is God who makes the determination to offer us the position. Now, We talked a little bit about predestination and foreordination and foreknowledge last week. This, again, is not a support for predestination. This has to do with calling once you're identified with God. If you've made the choice to be with God, and God already knows that you're going to make that choice, then it's him to decide who he calls and who he doesn't to what and to where. It's not based on, oh, you're a really good speaker, therefore you get to do this, that, or the other thing. Or you're a really nice guy, and so I'm going to give you this. Or you're the least sinful, so you get all of this. It's God decides who goes where and who does what based on God's decisions alone. The last episode, I totally agreed with you on uh, that, that verse in chapter 8, not being... Like some would would say, uh, an argument, uh, a proof text for predestination, sure. because even though I think the word is used, um, there, yeah, the word yeah, predestined it says predestined, yeah, for yeah. God, for those he foreknew, he predestined to be formed into the likeness of his son. Right, but if you read it in the context, it's not about, it's not about like out of a hat. He predestined people. It's there. There's more to it, and I totally agree with you in that context. And this one, I think is maybe a better proof text actually for that. So, okay, like you said, it's about calling. But in the context here, to me, I, I'm struggling to see, you know, what what makes the call. The calling is almost like that's the, and it uses the word election here, calling and election, these are related. Uh, anyway, this is one of the things I, I struggle with because I happen to believe that we have 
uh, free will and are saved by uh, grace, grace through, through faith, faith not of works. I, I to- totally like all in on on that. But then there's these ones that are like, oh, there's something I don't know because this this is it's good stuff to talk about. I just like. No, and it's rough because the word election is in there. Yeah. I, I, so that in order that God's purpose in election might stand. Right. What, why do you have to put that in there? Could he have please left it out? <laughs> Maybe, possibly. I, but then verse 12, still in that parenthetical reference, not by works, but by him who calls. And that's the thing we've really got to understand is there is... No ability on our part to earn God's favor in anything, whether it's in calling or salvation or, uh, oh man, prosperity or whatever else. Which really we need to be thankful for, because if it was merit-based, we would all fail. And be pretty darn depressed about ourselves in the process. Yeah. But instead, God calls us, chooses us, all of that because he loves us. John 3.16 all over again. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That's it. That's all it took. So um, I don't want to walk away from this if it's hanging out there, but I also don't want to get stuck on it because there's other verses coming up we're going to get stuck on instead. There's a lot to get stuck on in chapter 9. Uh, Verse 13, just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Jacob and Esau being the twins. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? And why does that question there? Because this 10, 11, 12, 13 is so hard. Why did God choose Jacob over Esau? If you remember the story of Jacob getting his blessing, he did it through deception and lies and trickery and all of it. Well, if it was God's to give, why did he have to do all of that? I don't know. I I don't know. know. And so Paul goes, is God unjust in this? This is not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And the rational side of me goes, that's not fair. But the truth is, what's fair is eternal damnation for me. That's what's fair. So I have two choices for me. And and maybe you can't get there, but for me, I have two choices. I can be upset that it's not fair, or I can be extremely thankful that it's not fair. For me, I choose thankfulness. Because if I want to start arguing about fairness, God's going to win the fairness argument. The the truth is, chapter 1 through 8 covered it. I'm a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. That's fair. There is an argument. I'm just reminded of this. Um, it's topical. There's this argument <clears throat> among, you can say, atheist or agnostic uh, circles. But it's something that they, they keep going back to. This idea of uh, would a just God allow X, Y, and Z? And yes. It, it's so it's so funny to me. It's such a funny question because it's like first of all, are you a god that you can even pose a question like okay, well, you're getting ahead a little bit in the in the book. We're getting there in Romans 9. It's just it's just funny. Okay, we're going to get there. I don't want to cut you off. No, I know my just intent like, was- I just it's it's one of it's like there are times where I just want to give a holy slap 
And and that's one of them. It's like you, you literally, in your own reasoning, have no leg to stand on. It's like, well, if I were an almighty infinite being, like, let's entertain that for a moment. You would what? What if Please, aliens what came do down? Do so, you know, it's like, it's like you can't. In fact, the fact is that you can't even rationalize what you would do if you were God because you are not God. You cannot have God's mind because you're not God. You can't do it. It's like it's like an ant going, if I were a person, if I were a human being, yeah, you you have no idea what you'd do because you, your brain doesn't even process on that level. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. No, it's good. So, and and if you're still stuck, if you're still stuck here and you go, oh, this is all good stuff, guys, but I still can't get past it. Um, good news. Uh, not actually good news. Um, <laughs> no good news here. It's, it's not going to get much better, but it doesn't <laughs> negate the fact that it's truth. We were having this discussion last night. Um, Orion and I were part of a, a discussion with some other people. And um, the, the key piece of Scripture, the baseline for me, and I know for Orion, and hopefully for you listening, is that it's truth. I don't have to like it. I don't have to be comfortable with all of it. I don't even necessarily have to agree with it, but it doesn't negate that it's truth. I got to reconcile where I sit in opposition to it. Mm -hmm. That's between me and God in the text. Um, And I think that's part of working out our salvation. But I've got to operate from the assumption that it's truth. And so if I conflict with it, the problem's got to start with me. I cannot change the text. And I heard somebody say it a long time ago, and I have repeated it several times since, of the moment you dismiss a piece of this book, and I don't mean the book of Romans, I mean the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, what's to stop you from dismissing the rest of it? If we go, okay, this one verse you don't have to take seriously, well, then I can apply that to every other verse. What other verses then cannot be taken seriously? Either we're going to take the whole text seriously, even when it makes us uncomfortable, or just throw the whole thing away. And so we're going to continue to move forward under the assumption, the fact, that it's all truth and it's all relevant. With that in mind, if you're still stuck, here comes verse 16. It does, there, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort. But on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, see here, Paul goes making it worse. I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Oh, come on, Paul. Leave it alone, man. And he says, look at Pharaoh. God says to Pharaoh, I raised you up to destroy you. That's not fair. There's that stupid fairness argument again of, didn't Pharaoh have a chance to come up to come to God? Well, according to free will, yes, but he didn't. So that he didn't, God was able to use that as well. How did he use it? Oh, he destroyed most of Pharaoh's army at the bottom of the Red Sea. Well, that, that doesn't strike me as really fair either. But here's the truth for me, and this is going to sound a little selfish, but that's just me being honest. I'm not at the bottom of the Red Sea. I'm a child of God who's surrendered to Christ. And I desire that for everybody. Not to the point that Paul does where he's ready to give up Christ so other people can come. But I desire that for you. I desire that for me, for Orion, for my kids, for my wife. 
I want to see people come to the saving knowledge and peace in Christ that I have. That's my heart and my desire. But maybe you're still stuck. And verse 18, or verse 16, 17, and 18 just made it even worse. Well, here comes verse 19. Buckle your seatbelts. Uh, it's going to get rough. Paul goes, one of you will say to me, and, and one of you listeners might be saying, then why does God still blame us? If God hardens who he wants to harden, why does he blame somebody for being hardened? For who is able to resist his will? And Paul answers it so great in verse 20. He goes, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Ah, shoot. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath? I don't want to get ahead because there's another parenthetical reference in here and I want to be able to address it. But I want to come back to this 1920-21 part because it's hard for me. And Orion and I had some discussion before we even turned on the microphones of I know it's hard for him too. This hits a wall hard where Paul for eight and a half chapters has answered every ridiculous question. Even the dumb ones, the really intelligent ones. He's had an answer every step of the way and you go, man, the way Paul's building on this, I'm going to get answers to all my questions. And we talked about getting stuck with 12 and 13 and 14. And then uh, maybe you're not stuck, but then he hits 16, 17, 18. You're like, okay, now I'm good and stuck. And at 19, he goes, he goes, so you go, oh man, God can't blame us if he's the one that made us this way. And what do I do? And he, Paul finally goes, how dare you question God? Well, I thought that's what we've been doing for eight and a half chapters, Paul. What the heck? <laughs> and, and I love that this is here because I think we're hearing it a lot today in society. Shall what is formed say to the one who's formed it, why did you make me like this? We hear it so often in society of, this is the way God made me. How can he hold it against me? You go all the way back to chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We are all attracted to sin. Your sin might be different than mine. But the fact is, is God created us all. And we're all sinners. So... Did God create you a sinner? No, you're the one who sinned. But God did create you. How does that reconcile? I don't know that I have answers. And I might have just opened up more worms and more of a Pandora's box than we already had. And it's really easy for me to go, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? But I want to talk back to God. I have questions that demand answers. You demand answers. Ah, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I, no, it's some of this stuff we're not going to get resolved this side of heaven. And some of these phrases, as soon as they come out of my mouth, I go, I've been hearing this out of church for years, and it's not enough for me. I need answers. And then I come back to verse 20. Who are you, a human being, to question God? And at some point, some of you aren't going to like this. At some point, we've got to get okay with letting God be God and that there's some things he knows and is doing that I don't have the capacity to understand. You may not be able to be there just because I said it doesn't mean you go, ah, Peter and Orion are right. I give up. I'll quit asking. 
I think God created us as curious people. Um, I think God created us to ask questions and to want to know. Honestly, these questions are a verification, if you will, of our free will. The fact that we're, we want to question God shows that God has given us a free will just to question Him. But at some point, you've got to try not to get stuck here and understand that God is God and I am not. And there are things He knows and that He's doing that I don't get to know. And I don't get to do. Abraham was given a promise that his descendants would outnumber the stars. And he got to see one. You know, the apostles in the book of Acts were told to go preach the word to all the world. To make disciples of all nations, of all men. And baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they all died before I came to Christ. Before any of us came to Christ. They never got to see the fulfillment of the promise, but it didn't negate their calling to be obedient to it. Oh, Ryan, help me out. Am I copping out or am I getting somewhere? Because I, I, I don't want people to drop off to go, ah, oh, he's just brushing it off. This is, this is one of those. I brought this verse to you uh, a year ago. Uh, At least six months, if not more. Yeah, eight or ten months with something. I mean, it was... and. And it was at a time for me where I was really struggling because, and just to be honest, it's like I, I said, I said, uh, you know, who are you, um, you know, a mere human, to talk back to God? And I said, I think my answer was, I am a mere human that you made this curious or you know in, in this way that. I, I, I wanted, Why did you make me like this? Yeah, and and so, but then the next, and then the next thing is like, you know, this is talking to me. I mean, if anyone wants to, if anyone thinks like, oh, I, I struggle with some of this stuff, Orion struggles with this stuff, and uh, it's, I don't know what the best way to to phrase it is because there, to me, it's not like, uh oh, faith is taking a hit now. Not sure if God is real not sure if you know it's not about that it's a, it's about i know god and i know that he made me and i struggle with just my my part in that is what this says a lump of clay mm. and I, I i i'm to be honest i mean i'm i'm at a loss here i don't know that i'll ever get over that ever but at some point it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't matter now. The thing is, I was going to say, at some point, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter now. It doesn't negate your <laughs> salvation. It doesn't. No, it, 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 even to question it, even to go, but, 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 doesn't negate my salvation. No. These conversations, like where we're honest about what we think about something God said, when we're honest back to God, hey, God, I, I, I disagree with what I see that you're doing here. I don't have the whole story, but I, I you know, I mean, when we do have those talks with God, Bible has many, many examples of people going, hey, God, I don't like this. And he never goes, then leave. He never you, says that. You look at the story of Moses. This is a, an example. Moses is standing in front of a bush that's on fire, but not, but not being, being consumed. consumed. And out of the bush goes, take off your shoes. For the place you're standing is holy ground. And Moses goes, I'm going to take my shoes off now. And then a couple of minutes later, the bush goes, 
I'm going to send you to Egypt to lead my people to freedom. And Moses says, I want you to picture this, to a bush that's on fire, not being consumed, that's talking. He goes, ah, no, I can't do that. <laughs> and you go, that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life until you come to Romans 9, verse 20. And you go, oh, no, I can't do that. Okay, I can't do that. And you go, how could you say that to God, Moses? And then we sit here and go, God, I can't, I can't get past this. Sure. It, it's the human struggle. It, it doesn't make you less than that you're stuck here. The, the thing I would, it doesn't make you more than that you're not stuck here. Right. We're not all in the same place on our journey with God. That's just the but, lump of clay you are. But, <laughs> but that you're on a journey with God is the key. And let me add to that. If you, if you have someone, because we're all on a journey. Yeah. Uh, if you have someone that you're comfortable with talking about this stuff with, you know, we love the emails. We, oh, lo- yeah. we, we love it. We love to have a back and forth, but nothing beats someone, you know, face to face, even if it takes some tears, you know, going, I don't understand this or I don't understand why this is happening to me or what, you know, what the hard questions. I've asked Peter some hard questions. We talk hard questions. It's it's uh, it, I can say honestly, it's gro- it's made me closer to God every time, because through every one of these hard questions at the end, God shows himself he proves himself and it's iron sharpening iron is it not yeah it's fellowship i mean it's 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 uh the church in action i mean there's so many ways you could put it it's it's awesome and shameless plug it's such a great place to kick it in even though we're in a really serious conversation if you want to ask questions if you want to pick our brains you may not like the answer they may maybe answers you don't like the best place right now, facebook.com slash more than hearers. Shoot us a message, post something on the wall. One of us will look at it and respond to it. Or if it's really hard, we may just avoid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. But seriously, we'd love to hear from you guys. Facebook.com slash more than hearers. Um, or, you know, send an email on the website or whatever else. What other way you can you can find to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Is this working for you? Is it not? What are you struggling with? Maybe you go, ah, verse 20 doesn't bother me at all. Verse 3 weirded me out, although going back to verse 3, no, verse 3 weirded you out a little bit too. <laughs> or whatever it is. Or if you see something we didn't see, I'd love to hear it. That's what this community of believers and the great thing about technology and the internet is, is this ability to, to sharpen each other, even from thousands of miles away. Yeah, let's grow each other. So let's move forward in the text um, because there's still some good stuff here and I don't want to lose it. So um, I, I'm going to go back to 22, but I want to point out there's another parenthetical reference coming up from the end of 22 to the start of 24. And so I'm again going to read it with the parenthetical reference pulled out, which means I'm going to basically skip over all of verse 23 and part of 22, and then we'll come back to it and put it back in. So let me read the sentence as it was written without the parenthetical reference, and then we'll address the parenthetical reference. So verse 22. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? It it works a little better because the parenthetical reference uh, talks about who we are a little bit, but but Paul goes, 
you know, it just came out of this. Doesn't the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? One's the the fancy silverware and, and plates and everything you bring out for guests. And then the other kinds of eat macaroni and cheese on with the kids in front of Netflix. I think the other one's like a, a spittoon or a like a, like a urine bag. Uh, not a bag. <laughs> You make a bag out of clay. Hey, he could. He He's could. God. He's God. Uh, could <laughs> but, God make a rock so big that he couldn't crush it? But, but <laughs> sorry. But that, but that's the kind of thing. I, I I maybe I'm going extreme there. It's like I think common use. Like I'm thinking a toilet. Yeah. I mean, is that rude? No, I don't. Not to me. But this phraseology, it's so wordy. You might miss it. What if God? Although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known. God wants to show all the way back to chapter 1, right? The wrath of God was evident in this, it says in chapter 1. What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, instead bore with great patience the object of his wrath? Us. Us. Why us? We sinned against God. That's why us. What if God, wanting to show how powerful and wrathful he was, chose to withhold his wrath? Oh, man. Is this not good news? Yeah, we like that story. It's got to be good news. Newsflash, this is just as unfair as God hardening Pharaoh's heart. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve God withholding his wrath. The parenthetical reference, I promise to go back to it. The objects of his wrath, talking about us, it says this, that they're prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? From the garden, from the garden we were prepared for his glory. I I keep coming back to this, and I'm stuck on it right now, so bear with me, listeners, if you will. That picture in in Genesis 3 of God coming into the garden in the cool of the day to walk, and he calls out for Adam, where are you? I created you to be in my glory with me and to fellowship with me. That's what he prepared in advance for us, and we messed it up. How? Sin. Whatever the sin, whether you ate an apple or you lied or you cheated on your taxes or you stole candy from the 7-Eleven or whatever, whatever the sin is, I don't care. We were prepared in advance for his glory, but he's, he's held back his wrath because he wanted to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy. That's us. Verse 25, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. If you're listening and you're a Gentile believer, this this has got to get you. Because remember that the Jews were God's chosen people, but God said in Hosea, before Christ, under the law, I will call them my people who are not my people. Who were God's people? The Jews. I will call people my people who are not Jews. I will call them my loved ones who are not my loved ones. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Oh, how cool is this? This is the promise before the promise had even come. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of Israelites be like the sand by the sea, 
Only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. And then my favorite phrase of Paul is, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. I referenced earlier in the episode this Jesus gives a sermon on the mount, and we, we like to focus on the Beatitudes of blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. But there was this, Jesus went on after the Beatitudes, and he goes, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. And it was really easy for guys to go, I haven't committed adultery. I mean, I've been texting this girl a little bit, but we haven't done anything, so it's not adultery. And so Jesus goes, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you're already guilty. Why did he have to say that? He, he said, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. He went, I beat a guy half to death, but not all the way. I haven't committed murder. Jesus goes, I tell you, if you hate your brother, you're already guilty. Why? Because he wanted people to understand what verse 32 says. Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. Israel, for generations, 2,500 years of history before, even more than that before Christ, 3,000 years or so or more, pursued God by trying to get adherence to the law, except that they instead converted that into pursuing adherence to the law. Mm-hmm. The law absent God is pointless. Why have it? It had to be pointing us somewhere into something and to someone. And he goes, that's why the Gentiles have been given access. Because as long as you're pursuing by faith, as long as you're pursuing God, that's what's important. Come by the law, come by faith, come to God. And so that doesn't really resolve verse 20. (laughs) Yeah. But... If you're asking the questions that come to verse 20, that come to, who are you a human being to talk back to God? At least you're acknowledging there's a God to talk back to. Amen. That's a way better starting point than, ah, there's no God. Ah, it's, just a, it's all a big cosmic mistake. If you're there, you're there. Bless you for seeking. But where this ultimately comes back to is, if you're arguing with God, you've already got a great foundation of, There's a God to argue with. Pursue him. He'll resolve it. Or he won't. But that's between you and him. Pursue it. Chase down those hard questions. In that, you build a relationship. Just like Orion was referencing where we ask each other hard questions. We wrestle out difficult scriptures. We're pursuing truth. And in that, we're building relationship. And so if you question God and you ask these hard things... You're pursuing him and you're at least building relationship with him. That's a fantastic foundation for faith.